Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. Acts chapter 28 is where we are this morning. We will take verses 11 through 16, but we will stand and read verses 11 through 15. So would you please stand for the reading of the Word of God. Acts chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed there three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day, we came to Petioli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. From there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Please be seated. Love beyond survival is the central point of this morning's consideration. If you are not familiar with what has been going on, the Apostle Paul is on his way to Rome. He is in protective custody. Essentially, he's a prisoner. And uh, to get to Rome from Israel, they took ships, several different ships. One of them got caught in a storm for two weeks, and that ship ended up shipwrecked on the beach at Malta. Surviving that, Paul remained there on Malta, as we just read, for three months. But now it is sailing season again, and they are going to continue their journey. And as I pointed out in the previous sections, Paul surviving the storm, the swords of the Roman soldiers who were ready to kill him lest he escape, and other prisoners, his surviving the shipwreck and then the serpent's bite, is uh, not enough. We're called on to do more. There's more to our Christian life than surviving storms and swords, shipwrecks and Satan's attacks. The apostles of Jesus Christ did not die for hearsay. Twelve of those men are believed to have been executed for testifying that they saw the risen Lord Jesus. And to them, it was not hearsay. There's no way to account for this. There's no such thing as this mass uh, hallucination that is in total agreement. If groups of people are going to hallucinate, those hallucinations are not going to match. And so there's not hallucination. And when Peter says, I did not follow cunningly devised fables when I made known to you the power of his coming, was an eyewitness. Not hearsay for me. We, on the other hand, not hearsay, it's testimony. It's based on evidences. Paul also did not suffer these things for Christ out of hearsay. He met the risen Lord. And everything he is going through is because of Jesus Christ. He could have avoided all of this and remained an arrogant Pharisee there in Jerusalem. But truth would not let him do that. 
serving Christ like this and suffering these things, just that we covered so far in Acts chapter 28, because he had already written 2 Corinthians, and there in that 11th chapter, he posted many other things that he had to endure for Christ. He never became bitter, and at least we have no knowledge of it. No indication of depression. Discouragement's not depression. No indication of anxiety. Or anything else that would have painted his faith in a bad light. That would have damaged his ministry and we wouldn't have what we do have through the Holy Spirit using this man. Don't tell that to the psychiatrist and don't tell this to the psychologist that Paul prevailed without them. Because if Paul can serve beyond survival... In this way, that we meet him in the scripture, then I can too. He did it, yes, through his faith in the Lord, but also because there were those who loved him, who also loved the Lord, which is critical. I think much of what is applied to the Christian life from the pulpit can sort of pitter out on the teens, because you've not yet faced these things. Sometimes there are exceptions. Don't let that be you. Understand that you are going to face things in life for Christ, and you're either going to pretend to be a Christian, or you are going to persevere as a Christian. The choice is entirely yours. It will come to a point where no one can help you, just you. You and the Lord. Start making plans for that now. Be ready. You should not be caught flat-footed by Satan or your carnal desires or the influences of this lost world. To be Christ-centered is to understand that surviving physical or emotional trauma is not the end of your purpose in life. Our purpose in life is not to survive. Oh, that's part of it. But it's also to survive, to do something. You've got to do something once you, once you get to your destination. And that is to have this testimony for Christ. To be able to preach Christ with words and life alike. After all, many Christless people survive trauma. And they go on, many of them, to be heroes of the world. Why should they get to outshine us when we have the truth? Why should they get to overcome hardships and broken lives without Jesus and we don't? You know, once the feelings take control, they tell your brains to shut up and go sit in the corner. And then it's going to be messed up for everybody, you included. I don't want to go through life like that. I take my feelings very seriously. Sometimes they're very good, and I'm, I'm dancing right along with them. Other times, I've got them at gunpoint, keeping them off of me, because they will forsake me. They will not allow me to serve the Lord the way I'm supposed to serve. And so to learn this is Christian maturity, to learn when to dance, when to rejoice, when to weep, And when to put yourself in place, in check.
the carnality that we're all stuck with. I don't like it any more than you do. But that does not give me a pass to not deal with it. And so here he is still serving. Heroic Bible characters, all of them, they did not skip through life emotionally unscathed. James said Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And sometimes I have found that Christians think that pastors don't have a nature like theirs, that we cannot get upset or be hurt or whatever. Well, that's not true. We're just like you. We have our assignment and we try to do it. You have your assignment and hopefully you're trying to do it also. And if you don't know what your role is in Christianity, find out. It's a short trip from your knees to the throne of God. Find out. If you are not following the basics, the fundamentals of Christianity, then it's, it's going to be very difficult for you. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in communion, in prayer. You take away any one of those, that's a complex uh, arrangement. They go together like an old watch. It's not one gear inside that watch that makes it tell time. It's a few of them. There are other parts. They're the screws that hold it. It's a complex system. Well, so is Christianity. And if we can remember to try to stop treating our Christianity like it's magic, I think we'll be a lot more effective. Take our hits when it's our turn. And keep moving forward, knowing that we are loved by God, and that love is to flow not only to us, but through us. That agape love. Not only is there more to this story, there's more people in this story that we've not yet met. And while Paul and the company that's with him, mainly Luke and Aristarchus and any others that aren't mentioned, while they went through their two-week saga, 400 miles away from Malta, where they shipwrecked, was Rome. And there in Rome were other Christians who knew Paul. He knew they were there, but he had no idea how much they loved him and were going to show it. He's busy surviving his trip to get to Rome to preach to them, to teach them, to pastor them. But they were very eager to see him and come under his authority. They didn't have hang-ups about pastoral authority as we encounter often here in the United States. When word reached those believers in Rome that Paul arrived in Italy, they scrambled to come out to meet him as far as 40 miles on that last leg of the Appian Way to Rome. And so we look now at verse 11 and keeping hopefully all that in mind because it's part of the story. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. Now, I've given you the heart, the, the, uh, the bravado, the, 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 the courage part of the message. There's a heart part, too, coming up. Not part two, but also. In addition to, hey, there's more to our life than surviving, there is that other side of, of the heart, and we'll get to that. But here in verse 11, uh, they had been at about four months. It had been about four months since they parted Jerusalem. 
and, uh, and fair havens where the, they were supposed, Paul advised them to stay and they didn't. They wanted to make the short 50 mile trip by sea to Phoenix and that's when it all fell apart. And when they did shipwreck on Malta, these three months, they were waiting for the winter no-sail season to go away and the uh, late winter, early spring season to come. And now it is here. Other ships had been harboring there. Clearly, this ship, this Alexandrian ship, is one of them. Uh, the twin brothers referenced here is from Greek mythology, the Greek twins, Pollux and, uh, and, and Castor. These were lucky charms of the ancient uh, sailors. Uh, a lucky charm is that which has no basis in reality. Other ships had uh, considered these to be the patron gods of, of the mariner and went to the bottom to J Davy Jones' locker. So evidently it didn't work all the time. But uh, man is incurably religious. Man must show his spiritual awareness in some way towards something bigger than himself. Whether it's an idol fashioned in the heart, whether it is worshiping oneself, uh, assigning self, a self status that it's not deserved, or whether you're, you're chasing UFOs and extraterrestrials because you believe there's something out there that's going to give you hope, or it's the true God. Man is incurably religious, and here's evidence of their religion, uh, or at least the shipbuilders, that these two uh, brothers, these Gemini brothers, would somehow protect their ship. Uh, well, it did because they harbored in, they didn't protect it, but the ship was protected because they had sense enough to harbor there on Malta. Verse 12, and landing at Syracuse, we stayed there three days. Um, now they're in Sicily, about 100 miles across the sea. Verse 13, from there we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day, we came to Pitioli. Now, they're in Italy. Regium is right at the, the tip of the boot, if you, you know, Italy is said to look at it like a boot on the map. And uh, they're right at the tip, about now 330 walking miles from Rome. Um, from Regium to Pitioli, uh, 215 miles. So there's a lot of walking going on. Uh, I don't think that they could get a cot or a cart, not a cot, a cart that easily. Not which is too many people in the group, and it's not like uh, you know the metro line or something. After one day, the south wind blew. Now, last time we read about this <laughs> south wind was in chapter 27, and uh, it blew softly there. But it wasn't sailing season, and they discarded that and got on board and, and suffered the shipwreck. But now the south wind is blowing, but it's okay because it, this is the, the season for, for open sea travel. The next day we came to Petioli, seven miles north of Naples. It's Naples, you could say that. Just 15 miles away is Pompeii. And maybe, oh, in less than 20 years, Mount Vesuvius there overlooking Naples is going to blow and wipe out Pompeii. Verse 14, where we found brethren... And were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. Now the story's heating up. We've gotten boilerplate information out of the way in those uh, first few verses. And now we're getting back to the people events that I'm interested in because I'm one of the people. 
And they, all they had to do there at uh, Petiole is say, um, hey, uh, is there a church? Is, are there any Christians here? They would, probably wouldn't have used the word church. Uh, but they would have, are there any believers in, in the Jesus as Messiah? And someone evidently pointed it out. How refreshing. Invited to stay with them seven days. Despite Paul traveling under Roman custody, he still had a lot of freedom thanks to the centurion, Julius. This seven-day delay allowed news of Paul's arrival to reach Rome. Because you have to account for, how did these Christians from Rome get to him? How did they know he landed? Uh, Well, here it is, right here. Um, It's about a two, three-day walk from Rome uh, here to Petioli, and then... uh, there's plenty of time for that with the seven days. You know, you, someone going forward, letting them know, hey, Paul has is, is landed. And uh, unbeknownst to Paul, evidently, they dropped what they were doing and marched towards him, wasting no time. Because you, you have to account for the time for the word to get to them within this seven-day period and then for them to get to Paul. So there had to be haste, no delay. Love doesn't play around. When it, when it has its opportunity, it leaps. And this is what they did. They're going to intercept him at the market of Appii. Uh, this is going to be a beautiful story. And so he went to Rome. Back to work, Paul. You survived the shipwreck. You got to get to Rome. You've been assigned a preaching job there in Nero's court. And everywhere else you stand. All the while, the threat of Caesar's doom hung over his head, looming. He could have been found guilty and executed. He doesn't know the outcome. These are unstable people in Nero's court. But he's not concerned with what might happen. You know the little what-ifs that live under the bridge? You try to cross over in life from one point to another point, and the what-ifs come out. What if this, and what if that? And you can turn tail and run, you can hide, you can lose your witness, or you can remain focused on the mission as a servant to testify to Jesus Christ. And so, as Caesar is going to hear the gospel, hell is scrambling also. They've tried to stop Paul from getting to Rome. Because they feared if Paul was turned loose in Rome, what would happen? I'll comment on that later. From his jailhouse letters, we see that his love for Christ, for Christians, and for the Christless did not fade. He did not have ministry slapped out of him. Have you heard someone say, well, you know, I got burned in my last church, so I don't go to church. That doesn't give you a pass. That doesn't mean it's acceptable. What if everybody did that? Oh, my toes got stepped on. If anything, God is investing in you, teaching you something. Maybe it was your fault. Maybe you need to keep your feet out of the way. Maybe it was somebody else's fault. You need to learn how not to be bitter, how to forgive, how to keep loving. How not, if that's all it took, if somebody offended you, and now you don't go back to church. Or now you don't serve. Serve. I'm telling you, the world could do better than that. 
There are people, they get fired from their jobs and they go get another job and they do well oftentimes. In Ephesians, which he hasn't written this Ephesian letter yet, but I'm going to read two letters that is not, he had not yet penned at this point, which indicates years after this shipwreck, the serpents, the swords, the storm, he's still in it. He's still making hell shake. Ephesians, he writes, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Wait a minute. He loved you, Paul? He let you go through all of that? Plus 2 Corinthians 11, he let you go through all of that and you're still thinking he loves you? Yeah. It was Mrs. Job that said, Curse curse God and die. And Job, of course, rebuked that thought. You take the good and the bad from the Lord. Then he writes to Timothy in his second arrest. And there he says to Timothy, You have followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance. Still kicking. you, You just couldn't stop the man. And he's not the only one. Again, he's not the only one. Jeremiah was this way. Peter is this way. Thomas is there. The others were this way. Now, verse 15, looking at... Well, go back to verse 14 a moment. He says, Where we found brethren, stayed with them seven days. Invited. That's important. We don't invite ourselves to stay with other people. I'm here. (laughs) Some of you might do that. And you, why don't they like me? But anyway, back to verse 15. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and three ends. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. There is Rome. And from, from there, when the brethren heard about us. When they heard about them from Rome. Uh, Incidentally, this is the church in Rome, not the church of Rome. Uh, Huge difference. So Paul, he wrote his letter to these believers that are going to come out, that are coming out to see him. And uh, his letters testify that he knew no less than 22 of them. In that Roman letter, in chapter 16 of Romans, verses 3 through 15, he greeted no less than 22 believers by name. Two of them were his beloved Aquila and Prisca. And uh, they were very special to him. Paul likely expected a reception from the leaders when he arrives in Rome. I don't think he expected this outpouring of love that's coming his way. When the brethren heard about us, verse 15, they came to meet us. Again, with the seven-day time period there, they've got to be scrambling. If they're going to come out 40 miles, they're likely carrying with them fruits and flowers. You just don't show up (laughs) empty-handed. Just love doesn't do that. He had no idea that God would rally the people of God to escort him to jail. That is just what's happening. This outpouring of love was arranged by God in the hearts of Rome's church-going Christians. 
This is how you do it. Now, when we saw Peter in the Gospels try to take off the head of Malchus, uh, one of the servants of the, that party that came out to arrest Jesus, Peter was trying to cut his head off, but he missed. He got the ear. Uh, and Jesus, of course, had to do damage control and clean up that mess, and he rebuked Peter. Well, that was misguided love. That was human love. It was love for Jesus. Jesus did not need his protection, uh, nor did he want his protection. But he understood that this was human love, not agape love. What we're looking at here is agape love. We're looking at spiritual. They're not trying to come, you know, put together a, a, an ambush and free Paul from the Roman uh, troops. They're just coming out to show love. We got your back. You know what that means to somebody who's in the thick of fighting and getting slapped around? And you've got people that want to come out and genuinely show you how much you mean to them. When the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us. Again, likely bearing fruits and flowers, maybe bread, things to drink. No idea that this was going to happen. This belongs to the outgoing work of Christ. Jesus was real to those people. We know he was real to Paul and his party, but he's real to other people too. So while he's on Malta and they're about to board that uh, Alexandrian ship, God has got his people 400 miles away that love him too. Maybe you're going through a hardship you think you're the only one suffering. Nobody else is suffering. Nobody else understands. That's the feelings taking over the ship. But when you understand, like, look, I'm hurting a lot. I know others are going through this. I'm not letting them outdo me. I'm going to go through this mess as much as I hate it. You know what it said of Jesus on the cross? He despised the shame. Public execution. Stripping him down. Nailing him to a tree. And that cross that he was nailed to... It wasn't a pretty little thing. They just found a couple of chunks of wood, put it together, this will hold a human body, and stuck that up there and him on it, in front of everybody, hoping he'd die a miserable death. He despised that shame, but he faced all of it for us, for sinners. Some of us can be a little self-impressed, which is unfortunate when we are that way. So, this is the ongoing work of Christ. Let me reread the punchline of verse 15, and perhaps, to me, one of the most beautiful phrases or verses in the Bible, clauses. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. This was a big deal. Now, I've got to say something about Luke before I forget it. Luke is the author that wrote the story of Acts. He never mentions himself. He never draws attention to himself. When Jesus, uh, when John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, he must increase, I must decrease, Luke is doing that. Luke has decreased to the point where he's not visible. The only indication we have of him in the story is his pronouns. We or they. When he uses they, he's not with them. He's off doing something else. When he goes back to the personal, you know, we, I, uh, he, well, I don't recall him even using I, uh, but I would, he, he's using we. And uh, it's just a remarkable, isn't that 
the Bible teaching us something? Just by that. It's a big part of the story and not a peep. Everyone cannot do everything. You'd be lying to your kid to say, you do anything you want. No, you can't. Just the way your body's built is going to eliminate you from a lot of things. One might be a good, you know, linebacker, and the other one might be a good uh, center in the NBA, uh, but you can't be them both. Not everything. But everyone can do this. Everyone can show love. Everyone can go drop what they're doing, go out of their way, and meet the need for love, especially in ministry. Well, what does that mean, ministry? It means doing things for Christ, for the, to, to further the gospel, to be his servant. You know, a lot of Christians, it's just about what job they're going to get, what this they're going to do. But how much, what are you doing for Christ directly, for Christ? I'd like to think that those who serve in the children's ministry are doing it for Christ. Uh, that's the paramount. That's the, I mean, certainly me, I, I love children. A lot of people love children and won't serve in children's ministry. Do it for the Lord. You've done it to the least of these. You've done it for me. So there is more to the believer than surviving hardship, and that's what we're seeing. And those who came out to see them, they had hardship in their lives too. They're experienced some resistance for being Christians. There is love beyond survival. And that's what we're seeing. Not weakness, not bitterness, not fear, but the Holy Spirit's perseverance through the life of a believer and love built by the Holy Spirit. You know, we used to joke, oh, it's made in China. What happens when it's made in heaven? What are you going to do with that? What am I going to do with that? Most types that we draw, these are types in the Bible are parallels. So you'll see a story like, for instance, in the rapture. Daniel, in one part in his ministry, is a type of the Christian being raptured. You have the three Jewish servants that are going through the furnace. But where's Daniel? You know, he's missing from the story. And so you have sort of a type, a parallel of the great tribulation period and Israel going through her struggle in the furnace. And yet you have missing this... uh, uh, the servant of, of God in Daniel. And there are many of them in the Bible. We draw attention to them all the time. But most of the time, they're Old Testament exam, uh, or parallels that are fulfilled to some degree in the New Testament. But here, what we have here is a New Testament type of an unfulfilled New Testament prophetic event. We who believe and love are in the number that come out to meet Jesus. You see, they came out of Rome, that decadent city, to meet the Lord. Uh, well, to meet Paul. The parallel is we're going to come out of this world to meet Christ. And let me use some of the Greek in a minute to bring that a little closer. But whether here, whether there, or in the air, we're going to meet Christ. And we're going to meet at some point up with each other. The noun here used for meet, when it says they came out to meet him, apentasis is the Greek word, and it means a friendly encounter. 
It was used by the Greeks in literature of an entourage coming out of a city to meet uh, officials that they cared for, officials of the city. It is also used, the same Greek word, apentasis. It is used by Jesus, and it is used by Paul. Here it is used by Luke. In each case, there's a meeting of the Lord. If not in type, then explicitly stated. Matthew chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And we know five were prepared, well, five were prepared, five were not. All of them slept, but five got to go out with the Lord. But there's that word, to meet the bridegroom. I plan to be in that number. The Lord, of course, in that parable is the bridegroom. Then, in 1 Thessalonians, a letter already written by Paul, he says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. And then he goes on to say, Comfort each other with these words. Then you'll have others come along and take that comfort away. Oh, you're going to go through that tribulation. No, you're going to go. I don't like you. You need to suffer. I don't buy that. I think that doctrine is, uh, is not supported by Scripture. In fact, I think such verses as this condemn such a teaching. And there are those that are, they just got to make, they, there's this guilt, I think. They, we have to do some sort of penance. We can't just be forgiven. We're too messed up. Well, I agree. You are really messed up. But not too messed up for grace. You're not too dirty to be washed. God has moves that he can't wait to show when it comes to his love and his grace. And so there, it is a big deal. We have a type here. They came out to meet Paul. We're going to come out to meet the Lord. And there's another uh, part of this. There are two waves that come to meet Paul. Well, you have tribulation converts. They too will meet the Lord. Well, so these believers went out to meet him. As believers will meet death, will meet Christ, either in death or in rapture, but we are going to meet him in a friendly way. Those who meet him in judgment, it will not be friendly. It says, as far as Appii Forum, this is a roadside marketplace just 40 miles outside Rome. It's a climactic finish to one part of his ministry. And a climactic start to the next part. He starts another phase of his ministry at this point. The three inns, that's ten miles from Appii Forum. So there were those that came out of Rome and they went 30 miles to meet him. But others went a little further. They went 40 miles to meet him. God is piling up the love on his weary servant. And he is weary, otherwise he would not have taken courage. And one of the lessons out of this is that some saints go further than others. At different times for different things. The second wave, again, will meet Paul as the tribulation saints will meet the Lord Jesus. There the type is sustained. It says, when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Love is an energy bar. It is a burst of motivation, of energy. It, is, it stokes the fire. Here is Paul, and he thanks God. Paul, uh, Luke picks up on that. 
So here they are, you know, just walking along. They got mi- they've already walked for miles. They have more miles to go from Regium all the way to Rome. And they're just not even really, well, they're 40 miles out. They're last leg. And when Paul sees them coming, Luke picks up on Paul's facial expression and his gestures that he thanked God and he took courage. His head probably lifted up, his, his gait increased. Uh, I mean, he was worn down. What was he worn down from? It wasn't just the ship and wreck and all that went with that. How about how the Jerusalem church treated him? When he needed them most, they abandoned him to zealous Jews and to pagan Gentiles. We have no word of anybody in the church at Jerusalem reaching out to Paul. He had victories, of course, but the emotional stress of the conflicts to get those victories, they cake up. He had a nature like ours. There was Corinth, there was Galatia, and as I mentioned, there was Jerusalem. All three of those were drains on the man. And then there was a time in Malta where it seems nobody came to Christ. This is my third verse-by-verse time through Acts in Virginia. I may have done it once or twice in New York. But I had in my notes written that in 2001, I wept when I got to this point. And then in 2008, I had the note, I wept again. In, in my study time, and in 2000, in, in, actually it was 801, 808, and 923. And it's just such a powerful story. Uh, is the outpouring of love it, is contagious. We meet them meeting Paul on that stone-paved Appian Way only because of love. Had no other motivation. He didn't owe them any money. What else were they coming out there to see him for? He was not a celebrity pastor. We'll come to I'm come to that in one moment. Uh, but I am sure not only did they have flowers and fruit, but smiles and shouts. I mean, what else do you do? Just come up and stand there like you're at the bus stop? They had to be shout. We love you, Paul. It's so good to see you. Welcome, Paul. Not wanting him to suffer anymore. That's the part that tears me up. They loved him. They did not want him to suffer. They wanted him to teach them more about Jesus Christ. They were grateful for his life. Profoundly moved by his spirit-filled life. They wanted some of that. They were profoundly moved by his letters to them. Many of that uh, people in Rome he never met. He had not been to Rome before. Here's what he wrote in Romans chapter 1. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. So they came this far to rendezvous, to escort him back. Like the angels took Lazarus to Abraham's bosom. And they still had to walk back. It wasn't like, well, we made it 40 miles out of Rome. Well, while we're here, we'll just, you know, get a job and live here now. They still had to make that trek back 30 and 40 miles. Romans chapter 15, verse 24. He wrote to them, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. 
For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. When he wrote that Roman letter and it arrived in Rome in that church, that letter was read to the congregation. We don't know if it was read at one sitting or if they broke it up, but it was read out loud. And how it must have felt to them to having gone through those 15 chapters, well, before they get to verse 24 or 15, and just blessed by so many instructions about how we do Christ. I shall come to you, for I hope to see you, to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. The humility of this dynamo of a servant. servant. Now, some, of, some will hear this message long after it's preached, be it on podcast or radio. And I would advise uh, those of you who live in other states, other places, reserve some long-term love for those who pastor over you, not as thin-skinned future deserters, but those who can stand the ground. That's where the work gets done. 1 Timothy 5, Paul wrote, Let the elders who rule, and these are the pastors, who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. I think Paul learned some of that from people like this. Pastors do learn about Christianity from the people they pastor. Usually they don't know it's happening. Fortunately, it doesn't happen daily. (laughs) You're pretty dumb, Pastor. You're going to need a daily dose. But it does happen. And uh, the word love, it is not printed in the book of Acts. But the fact of love is on every page. And that's what counts, that you get the point. A person can pull a pistol on you and point it at you and not say a word to you and you know this is not good. See, there are other facts in life that are quite powerful that don't need to be verbalized. We get it. It was love that motivated each of those saints and their service, and it was their love for Jesus Christ first. It wasn't that, oh, we love Paul, oh yeah, and then Jesus. Jesus was real to them. This is a man that taught them about Jesus because they understood You just don't figure it out. There's a system that God has put in place. Verse 16. Now remember, he's encouraged now. Which means he was discouraged. Now when he came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. This now fulfills a three-year-old prophecy. Going back to Acts chapter 23. The promise was reinforced in Acts chapter 27 because it didn't look like it was going to happen. And God said, oh, you're going to, you're going to survive this violent storm. You and everybody else with you as a bonus. From Rome, legions went out to conquer the world, to occupy those places they conquered. They came to Paul's beloved Israel and to Jerusalem, and they forgot to leave. But from Jerusalem, Paul is sent to Rome. 
to preach and to conquer Christ. What is one of the effects of that, other than the countless souls in heaven because of it? That the world, the entire world, has been dating everything by the birth of Christ. Here's where it began. Even when the world tries not to date their checks, their history, by Christ, they do it. Some of them even have to put, instead of saying, you know, 2000 B.C. before Christ, they'll put 2000 C.B.C. Uh, I, I think I just lost it. Trying to say uh, that we don't believe in the B.C. But you just said it. <laughs> you just recognized it. You recognize that everybody else does. And you have to line up with it, even though you have your snarky little remark, oh, common, I think CBC, common, commonly known as before Christ. And so that's their, their zinger. You can use a Chinese calendar. Yeah, maybe in, in downtown China Village, but when you start working on the global scale, you're going to be using the calendar that is set up according to the coming of Christ. And this is where it was beginning. Acts chapter 1, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Rome is not it. Even though Paul survived that shipwreck and made it to Rome, he still had a lot more to go. There are a lot more things for him to do and places to see. He believes he gets out of this first imprisonment for two years and then ends up back uh, arrested again at the convenience of Caesar and then is executed, uh, beheaded for his faith. The reason why we believe he was beheaded is because he was a Roman citizen and they felt that was the uh, compassionate way to execute one of their own. If you weren't a Roman citizen, then they could, would crucify you or would do whatever else they wanted to do. So it was neither easy, safe, or quick, the service this man rendered to the Lord when he finally reached the place God appointed him to reach. Well, that's how it was with Joseph. That's how it was with Moses. That's how it was with David. And that's how it was with Mary. You know what Mary had to go through? I'm with child, and I'm not married. Thank God for Zacharias and Elizabeth uh, being there in her life to protect her. All the forces seemed to combine themselves to make it impossible for this man to reach Rome, and they failed. Don't think Satan can't be beaten. Don't, don't think he's not a superhero. He doesn't have these, you know, he has powers, but so do we. If unable to stop him, hell wanted to diminish his ministry. If they couldn't disable his ministry, just keep him traumatized. Keep him in shock. I just can't trust again. I just can't step out again. That's hell would have been happy with that. And yet he walks all over the face of hell. And all he had to do was keep loving the Lord, loving the Lord's people, and loving the Christless people also, until at last he gets to Rome and then heaven. I close with this. There are those who would continue to live for the glory of Christ and not for themselves. There are those 
that would live for the glory of Christ and not for themselves. If I can get a little portion of that, that would be worthwhile. If I could get myself to have an attitude where I'm going to try to get as much of that as my little bag can carry, I think that would bring glory to the Lord. But a big part is what I learned about pastoring. People. They count. They're difficult. I'm one of them. But it's worth it in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, these lessons that you give to us, may they not be lost to busybodiness or distractions, personal struggles and setbacks. In fact, may it be the other way around. May we come and receive these lessons from Scripture and put them to use. If the forces of evil are against us, then may we use these lessons to punish them, to strike back, and bring glory to you. If you've been listening to this sermon, maybe you're online watching, maybe you're here in the church, and you've not opened your heart to Christ, you will meet him. But it will not be a friendly encounter. It will be judgment. It is a fact. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. It's going to happen. But it doesn't have to happen. You can meet him as one who has come under his lordship and has received him as savior. If you make this prayer, Christ will receive you. And then whether it is here, there, or in the air, you will see him face to face and you will love him and he will love you. You say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I fall short of your commandments. I break your commandments. I am guilty. My guilt is upon me and it's punishment. But I ask you to forgive me, to pardon me. You are the one who died in my place. You arranged it. That all those who would receive you and your lordship that you are worthy of would be forgiven. I give my life to you right here, right now. And I ask that you forgive me and not only be my savior, but the one who rules over my life through any means you deem necessary. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they act on it when invited to step forward and say, I believe Christ died for me. I believe he is my Lord and Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.